twice as many people in the room, yet you guys only greet half the amount of time at first service. First service, I swear, I'm, and they're just still talking and talking and talking. Uh, it, it is Valentine's Day, so it is a, is a made-up holiday. <laughs> that doesn't mean if you're a dude, you're not in trouble if you don't do anything, okay? <laughs> uh, I, was, I, I got this sweatshirt from my wife like a, like, uh, like a month ago, and I was waiting to give it to her for Valentine's Day because it's, it's Space Invaders, and so it's got like little, little Space Invaders dudes on it. And it's got, she digs that kind of stuff, right? And it's got like one little green one on it, like a front, one little green one on the back, you know, like the guy you're aiming for. I also gave her this card, and it said, and it said, let's not get into an argument about who loves each other more, because I'll say, oh, I love you, and you'll say, I love you more, and I'll say, I love you more, and I'll say, I love you more, and let's just not argue about that and just realize I love you more. <laughs> so even if you're, you know, you're a dude and you forgot, oh, no, it's a made-up holiday, you just be like, honey, you need to go home, and I've got to run to the store real quick, and I'll be home in just a few minutes. Oh, no, no, I totally remembered, but I've got to give it to you at the right time, like an hour from now. Uh, at Element, we, we are a very giving place. We have a tendency to, like, if someone comes and brings flowers and they're here over a weekend, we'll usually put them out. You guys take those home and things like that. Sometimes they're centerpieces for certain events that take place around here and they get left out. You guys can take those home because they're really nice. Well, the women had their press-on workshop last Saturday and they had all the centerpieces uh, from the table in the hallway in there and they had all these little flowers in them and stuff. And like normal, you guys are like, hey, this is Element. I'll just grab one and take it home. They weren't there for you to take home. I know. It's like, and so we don't think if you, t- you stole it. We don't think you stole it. Like, I'm going to take this. We don't think you stole it. Uh, we just think you thought it was like normal. But uh, if you have, if you took any, kind of need them back. Like the one on the left here, uh, that one's missing. And it's one of the ladies who was in charge of it. And her mother uh, gave that to her. So it's like an antique. And so if you happen to take that home going, this is sweet. It's not for you. <laughs> uh, if you could just bring that back, you're like, I'm going to melt this thing down and make some bullets to kill some werewolves. <laughs> don't. Don't. Just, just bring it back. Just bring it back. Uh, she would love to have it back. So if that was you, again, we don't think you stole it. Okay? We don't think that at all. Uh, but if, if you did happen to grab and take it home because it's like normal things around here, we ask that you would actually bring that back. Um, you, if you're embarrassed about it, put it in a box and just be like, to whom it may concern. Sorry. <laughs> you know, just whatever. But uh, she'd really appreciate that back. If you are new to Element, welcome. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, there are sermon notes from all the communion tables around the room. They look like this. On the inside, you will get some notes that go a little bit deeper as well, some questions to go deeper into what we talk about today. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called Uversion. Click on Live and Uversion. It will come up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, all that goes along with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me, read God's Word. Uh, this is the same verses we started with last week, John 20, verses 21 and 22. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to live and walk in your spirit, that the trueness and the rightness of what you bring into our lives will be reflected by how we live and how we glorify you and how your children live in joy and love with one another. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so as I said last week, we're taking about two-thirds of this year to go through the first half of the book of Acts. 
Uh, we're attempting to do a few things as we do this. I gave you my top three last week. Number one is to see the beginnings of the early church, and Jesus called a mission. Secondly, in that, that a lot of you are people in transition, and you may not live the rest of your life in Santa Maria or even attend Element the rest of your life. So what we want to do is help you to know what to look for in a good church. And so as we go through each of these, they're all labeled something to look for. Like today is a worship that reminds you, and that's a worship that reminds you of who Jesus is. And the third thing is understanding that when we live on mission with and for Jesus, we will not always understand everything he is doing, but we can trust him in the midst of it. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to cover the same verses we covered last week. Last week was historical. Uh, This week is a little more practical in that. And if you wonder how Christianity came into existence, Acts is kind of it. It is important to look and remember in the book of Acts, though it details the church taking off, it is still also all about Jesus. At the end of Acts 1, you see there are about 120 people gathered together. They are worshiping Jesus. It is now Acts chapter 2, 50 days after Jesus' resurrection at a holiday called Pentecost. And so they are worshiping together at this event, gathering together, worshiping Acts chapter 2, Verse 1, this is what happens. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And appeared means it was like, it doesn't mean God set their heads on fire, so... Those of you with like product in, don't worry about it. Your head wouldn't go up. Uh, Verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And I know as soon as you read the word tongues in a text, some of you are breaking out in heavy sweats. You don't know what to do about that. Like, oh my goodness, people are going to like bark and do things like that. This is element uh, that's not going to happen. What we're going to do today is not even deal with the issue of tongues because it's so distracting. We're going to deal with tongues after it comes up about three times in the book of Acts. And then we will talk about it there. Today, what we want to talk about is the spirit, what the spirit actually comes and what the spirit does. Because too often we are drawn away by all these other things that are going on and not what the spirit is actually doing. We are far too confused about what happens when the Spirit shows up. Some people see the Holy Spirit as like the stoned member of the Trinity. It's like, hey dude, I'm showing up. What's going on? Woo! Some people see him, like I said last week, like he's Elvis and he's left the building. And really, neither one of those are correct. It's a misunderstanding of what he does. Uh, Verse 5. Now there are dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at at the sound of the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. So first and most important, the Spirit comes, and what does He enable them to do? Be His witnesses. Be His witnesses. They are telling the mighty works of God in people's own language. Just like Jesus said, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. 
So the Holy Spirit comes, and what do they do? They do what Jesus said. This is what's going to happen. What you have to understand is that the Holy Spirit comes and makes us witness about Jesus. It's about Jesus, the center of Christianity. It is not a place. It is not a ritual. It is Jesus. If Jesus is removed from Christianity, Christianity becomes dead and worthless. But if Jesus is alive, then our faith is alive. We worship a living God, a living Savior. They gather together at Pentecost. It is a time of worship. What do they do at Pentecost? Well, they read God's word. They're praying for one another. They sing some songs. They're giving to one another. Somebody probably talks about the deep things of God in the midst of that. All the things that we do when we gather together on a Sunday. But you will see them also go out in the book of Acts and live the rest of their lives because worship is about everything that they do. The Holy Spirit comes. He immerses us into the family of God. We believe we fill daily with the Spirit, but the Spirit in the baptism of what He does places us into the family of God and He gives us power. And when we worship Worship correctly, it reminds us of that. What is worship? Worship is everything you do. Everything you do is worship. The Spirit comes, He makes them witnesses. He gives them strength and power to witness to the birth, life, death, resurrection of Jesus. Now, how many of you are from a charismatic background in your life? Raise your hand. I know you want to. That's a joke. Man, you're going to be a tough crowd today, huh? Okay, so, so in there, a lot of times in the charismatic background, the Spirit shows up and kind of a lot of little crazy things happen in that. And I'm not saying crazy things can't happen, but a lot of charismatic churches love to talk about the Holy Spirit, and they go to the book of Acts, and they, they point out tongues. And they say, oh, look at tongues is what's happening here, and this is what's going on. Well, you have to look at what the Holy Spirit actually does in the book of Acts. Uh, you also have to understand the book of Acts comes... The gospel. So if you want to look at what the Holy Spirit does, you look at the gospel accounts as well. I mean, even starting the book of Acts, what does Luke say? Acts 1.1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. It's like Luke even says, if you want to know what's going on here, you got to start there. you got to look at Jesus and what's going on there. If you want to be reminded of what the Holy Spirit does in Acts, you start in the gospels. That's where you start. And so Jesus says to them, you will receive power. The word power is the word where we get a word dynamite from because the Spirit comes in power. The Christian life is meant to be about the kind of power that the Spirit brings. But apart from Jesus, the Holy Spirit becomes ununderstandable. I mean, our question should not be how do we use this power. Our question should be how did Jesus use this? And what did it look like in his life? And this is what our worship is meant to remind us of. So I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 14. In John 14, Jesus will talk about uh, spirit and worship and what it means. Uh, Luke chapter 4 says before Jesus did anything, he was full of the spirit. What does that look like for him? Well, in John chapter 14, Jesus talks more about spirit and worship than anywhere else in the scriptures. A lot of the places in the scriptures that we read are very linear. It's like A, B, C, D. This is why it takes us like a year to get through any book of the Bible we want to look at. But sometimes you run across some sections and they're very Jewish. And what will happen is, like, Jesus will say something, and then he'll say something new, and go back to the other thing he said, and revisit that new thing, and then say something new, and then go back and revisit the other thing that he just said, and it's all over the place, and our Western minds go, this makes no sense. There should be, like, 20 different sermons in, like, two verses, because everything sounds different. Well, this is very Jewish, so let me read it to you, and then I want to talk to you about it. John 14, verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. 
that's the word counselor, advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. See what I mean? It's kind of dense with all these little things that go on. And in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So I'm going to try and help you understand this with two questions throughout this. The first one is this. What does Jesus have? Because in verse 16 it says, I will ask and the Father will give you. So the first thing you see that Jesus has is a generous relationship with the Father. I will ask, he will give. For Jesus, his relationship with the Father is marked by a relationship of trust with the Father. Verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And Jesus says this multiple times throughout the scriptures. John 10.30, he says, I and my Father are one. What you see is Jesus has intimacy and union with the Father. In verse 21 it says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. So Jesus has the love of the Father. So what does he have? He's a generous relationship with the Father, a relationship of deep, intimate, connected union and love. Jesus lives a life that is thoroughly saturated with the love of God. Worship means worth-ship, that God himself is worthy. And Jesus is constantly focused on the worthiness of the Father. Now, you and I in our lives, we're completely different than that. We're controlled by this inner mechanism rather than what's physical reality around us. Like, we say things like, I just woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. And all of a sudden, our whole day is off. We don't like anything or anybody. And oh no, and now it's Valentine's Day. That just makes it even worse, right? We're all just mad about it. Or you meet someone new, and they just rub you the wrong way. I mean, if they literally did that, that'd be creepy, right? But, <laughs> but we, just, we say things like that, and we just don't know why that is or why we feel this way. Jesus' inner life, his deep place is so saturated with the love of God, the worthiness of God. He is so full of the Spirit that everything for him is dictated by this experience of his relationship with God. It is why in the Sermon on the Mount, he will say things like Matthew 5, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. You can only love your enemy in a way that makes sense is when the more of the Spirit is in here than you, when it's more of him living in and through you. Matthew 6, 26, Look at the birds of the air. They, are ne- they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I think that's always a great verse for anybody who is like into PETA because God just said you're more valuable than an animal. Eat cows, everybody. In uh, looking at Jesus being full of the Spirit, what you see in this is he doesn't live a life where he's always feeling like a victim, like he's always lacking anything. Deep in his soul, he is never suspicious that God has shorted him on anything. He never wonders if God loves somebody more than him. He is filled with the Spirit and does not feel like he is lacking anything. He says, of course God takes care of me. What else would God do with me? Jesus rounds us out in Matthew 6, 34 and says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. His life is so filled with the Spirit that there is no anxiety about what events might or might not happen in the future. Nothing betrays his fundamental core, which is centered on the love of God. And that is what our worship is supposed to remind us of in the Spirit. Jesus says, I will love you, and you will love me. You will love each other. Someone in first service said we should make this the Barney sermon. I love you, you love me. I'm like, it's never going to happen. It is just never going to happen. If you go to the book of, don't turn there, but Galatians chapter 5, it speaks about what's called the fruit of the Spirit. 
And it says, starts off and says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, in the Greek, what happens is it says, fruit of the Spirit is love, and then everything that comes after that means it comes out of that love that is first given to us by the Spirit. Out of that love comes joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. The Spirit of God comes, and He creates love in the child of God. Love for each other, love for God, love for the truth of God's Word, so we become witnesses. Now, I I want you to understand that I am not what is called a cessationist. I do not believe that the gifts that God gave throughout the book of Acts have ceased. I believe they are still active. I have a problem when they're not used biblically. I have had conversations with people that have come to Element, and they will usually ask questions like this. They will say, is your church spirit-filled? Is your church spirit-led? Is your church spirit Whatever. What what they're really asking is, do you speak in tongues? I've had people say things, well, the Spirit isn't there. And I'm like, well, thanks for giving me humility. I appreciate that. You know, but how do you know we don't have it? I mean, am I not wearing the right underwear? And what are you looking at my underwear for anyway? What's going on with that? And And they will say things like, well, do you speak in tongues? And I say, no, God didn't give me that gift. I think he gave it to some people and not others. And they will say to me, well, if you had the Spirit, then you would speak in tongues. And I say, why? And they usually say, because that's the evidence of the manifestation in you. That is untrue. Because the scriptures tell you the manifestation of the Spirit in you is love. That's where it starts. That love that empowers you to be a witness. And I sometimes think I do have the Holy Spirit because I haven't freaked out and run people off yet. I just, you know. John chapter 8, verse 14, Jesus is tempted to prove who he says he is. He replies with this, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. What happens is Jesus is in this situation where the standard human response would be, I'll show you, I'm going to prove myself, you'll be sorry, get some water, I'll make some wine. Peter, chop that guy's ear off, I'll... Stick it back on his head. I'll do something and I'll show you. Every human fiber in us would say, show them who you are. This is like you go down and the barista messes up your latte. And you go on to Facebook and you're going to show how mad you are. And all your friends will like your comment. My barista, Jane Doe, at Starbucks, can't make my And then they were rude to me. Or you go out to lunch and a waitress And so you go on to Facebook and everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're trying to prove yourself. You're trying to make something up for this. But Jesus, no matter what happens, he is so grounded in the Spirit that he never feels tempted to prove himself. He is not shaken. He doesn't need to be anything other than who he is. That is a life full of the Holy Spirit. And that is what our worship is meant to remind us of in the Spirit. In John 19, verses 10 and 11, Jesus is on trial. He stands before Pilate, and Pilate says, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. This is like, like a verbal kung fu. Jesus is like, Whoa! Kind of throws it back at him. Jesus says, I don't have anything to prove. He doesn't you know, exert all this energy going, oh, you're too far, Pilate. You're over the line. You're done. Jesus has just come. You would have no power over me if we're not given to you from above. In situations where we would freak out, a life full of the Spirit knows a relationship of deep trust, intimate, connected union, and love with the Father. This is a life full of the Holy Spirit. 
In Jesus, the deepest reality is that the love of God is absolute in his life. This permeates his entire being and every aspect of his life. What does he have? The love of God filled with the Spirit. And what does he want to do? That's the second question, is he wants us to live in that. That is what Acts 2 is all about. He gives us that love through his Spirit to be able to live in and be his witnesses. In John 14, verses 25 to 27, he says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, and that again points to that generous, loving relationship with the Father, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, in the narrative in John, Jesus is getting very close to the crucifixion. He's going to be leaving them very soon. And so what he is doing is he's empowering them to do what he did. When you are teaching someone how to do something, if you never let them do it, will they ever learn? No, you have to let them do it. If every time something starts to go wrong, you swoop in and save them, are they ever going to learn how to do it? No, not at all. Uh, I... My friend Pete, he's a contractor, and he's always teaching me how to do certain things that I don't know how to do too well. And over the last few months now, when I call him for stuff, he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll come over. And he doesn't show up. And I think, I think it's because he is making me learn how to do it on my own. Because he's like, you, you got this. You know how to do this. I'm like, no, I don't know what you like, Yeah, I'll be there. And then I got like, you know, the wall split open. I'm like, what do I do? I better learn how to fix this. And I do it because he's teaching me and he's making me learn by stepping back and letting me do it. He's not always swooping in and saving me and trying to make, except when I do almost cut my fingers off. My wife calls him and she says, and she goes, I'm going to kill him. He almost cut his arm off. Pete's like, I'll be right there. You know, when my wife calls, it's really important. So he's like right there. But usually when it's just me and I'm like, yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah, you can figure it out. You'll, you'll be fine. Yeah, all your fingers still attached? Yeah, you'll be okay. Almost lost this one yesterday, by the way. Anyway. <laughs> If you're teaching someone, you know, how to do something, you have to step back. Now, Jesus leaves, so his disciples start to do what he does, because if he was physically there, we would all be like, oh, that's Jesus' job, he can do it. Oh, Jesus will take care of that. It's kind of like some of you guys, you invite your friends to go to church with you, not understanding you're the church, but you invite them to go to a building with you, and say, Aaron will tell them about Jesus. Your job is to be the witness. Your job is that the Holy Spirit empowers you to be his witness to everybody. Sure, I can tell people about Jesus, but I'm offensive sometimes. <laughs> you, in your life, with your friendships, you get to tell them about Jesus. And so Jesus steps back. I mean, he sends the Spirit to give us strength and power, but he himself physically is gone so that we would begin to live the life he calls us to be. I will send you my Spirit so you will be me to the rest of the world. Now, the word counselor there, it's some people, your Bibles have the word advocate, it's the word paraclete in the Greek. This comes from a compound word, para, which means kind of alongside of, like paralegal or paramedic or something like that. And kletos or kleo, which means to call, so it means to speak alongside of. It's kind of like you're in a race. How long's a marathon? 26 miles away. It's 26 miles. And you're like, oh, I'm going to run a marathon. And you're out and you're running a marathon. You've got blisters and you're tired and you want to give. You're like, this is not worth it. I'm going to give up. And someone comes running up beside you and you're like, you can make it. You're doing great. I'm going to run beside you the entire way. You've only got 25 and a half miles to go. <laughs> you know, 
We're going to do this thing. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's kind of the meaning of it. I will ask and the Father will give you another helper to be with you forever. He will run beside you and walk beside you. It has a courtroom dimension where the Spirit stands up and says, I know them. I will speak on their behalf. It's got a maternal dimension of a mom comforting and taking care of a child. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and He will give you the Spirit. And He will encourage you and He will guide you and lead you. He'll give you my words. Sometimes maybe even those words you don't even know. When I'm not around, He will enable you to live as I lived. Jesus wants our inner life and our outer life to mirror what he had with God. And what would that be like in our lives if we actually began to live that way? When the Holy Spirit isn't seen as the embarrassing relative you wish would hang out in the closet and not come out, or the one that's like never around at all. If the Holy Spirit in our lives, when we live the way that God actually calls us to live, Why does God give us the Spirit so the deepest parts of us will be saturated with the love of God? Why? Because it will transform all we feel and do. Why? So God is glorified. This is why we worship. It reminds us of these things. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. So what are the implications of this? Well, in John 14, 21, Jesus says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So these these are Jesus' own words. I will give you the Spirit, you won't be alone, but the one who loves me obeys my commands. Now, in American mindset, we rebel at the word commands. Like, how dare Jesus use the word commands? In a Western sense, we view that as, if you do these, you're in. If you don't do these, you're out. But in a Hebrew mindset, commands means something totally different. Commands means life. That everything matters. What you think, feel, and do matters. In a Jewish mindset, this is not God is angry with you and God's going to smite you. The commands were a, were a celebration that everything matters, that God's desires matters for our lives. When God says, love your neighbor as yourself, it's not, oh, I have to love my neighbor. They're such losers and they, they just you know, leave their garbage in the front lawn all the time. That, that's not, love your neighbor is, I get to love my neighbor. I get to be a witness. I get to show them what God has done by how I love them. It's a celebration that God has given us the ability to live in grace and change things around us, to encourage one another, to enable us to be who God intends for us to be, to be a witness with power in His Spirit. That's what happens at Pentecost. You will glorify the Father. How will you do that? Well, you'll live in the will of the Son. Well, how's that? By doing what He was doing. Well, how's that? Because we will love Him. Well, how's that? It's the work of the Spirit. I love you, you love me, work in the Spirit. The Spirit comes at Pentecost and it makes this a reality. I mean, that's Acts chapter 2. Think about what it means to call yourself a Christian today. And then think about what it means to call yourself a Christian in that day and age, when everything is brand new. You gather to worship, God's promises once again comes true, the Spirit comes, so He enables them to be witnesses. And their job description as those witnesses is if you really look through it, of what it actually means, it's kind of scary. They're going to get beaten. They're going to get killed and thrown to lions. And their livelihood is going to get taken away from them. How do you not grow weary and afraid in the midst of that? How do you continue to trust? You worship. You worship. Because your worship is meant to remind you of what God is doing in our, your life, in my life. Proper Christ-centered worship, the Spirit leads us into as He empowers us and reminds us of who He is. I mean, so I know that there's some like young guys who go to church for a bit and they're raised in churches and they're like, oh man, I just want to be a pastor someday. That'll be awesome because I just get to hang out and read books all the time. That's not what happens. Seriously, I got to deal with all you guys. 
And you have to deal with me. And I will tell you, my life is extremely busy, but I think it's extremely fulfilled. But it is not always easy. Too many people think working in a church or working in a ministry means you're going to love and live in the suburbs and everything's going to be wonderful in your life. That is not the job description God gives his people. It's that you will be a witness, and that will be sometimes in hard places and hard things are going to happen in your life. But you will have the Spirit of God, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Why? So you will be his witnesses. The mark of the Holy Spirit is we continue to walk forward with God, even when everything falls apart in our lives. We walk because his strength and his power is living in and through us. The implication is that the Spirit's love deep in our bones fills us and it casts out all fear. Acts chapter 1 verse 5, you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, not many comes, uh, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Acts 1 verse 8, that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. The reason the Spirit comes is we need Jesus' power and strength. Not because things are going to get really easy. Not because he's going to give us everything that we want. It's because things are now going to get really tough. The Spirit is not a free pass from suffering. It's not an emotional high. The Spirit in filling us is less about our circumstance and more about the character that he's building us into. Jesus says the Spirit is not going to change your circumstance so you won't have difficulty. But in those circumstances, your character is going to be formed into who God intends for you to be. This is less about getting around your problems and actually getting through them. Now, after all I've talked about, and I've asked you this question, what is the mark of someone not walking in the Spirit? We would say that they glorify themselves, they live in fear, and they believe themselves over the truth of God's Word. And yet that sounds like a lot of how all of us live our lives today. We think more about ourselves than about God. Our worship is about how we feel. Our worship is about what we think. Our worship is about what we want and not about the glory of God. But in the scriptures, God says things can be different. God offers his spirit. The question is, do we live in it? Do we trust Jesus for his salvation and his gift and live in that? Because what the spirit does is overwhelm us with God's love. So we, in turn, are so saturated with the love of God that we become reshaped from our heart out. And then we witness to that fact. I mean, my question for you is, how do you view worship? How do you view worship in your life? You know, because is is worship about unselfishly loving and unselfishly living, and that becomes the only way to live your life, because that's what worship really is. Worship is not just music. It, it can be music, but worship is me speaking to you, and worship is, is communion, and worship is prayer, and worship is fellowship with one another, and worship is how you work at your job. Worship is you being a witness to someone who is just mean and nasty to you and how you love them back. That is worship. In Acts chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, it says, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. And this is what you'll see next week is a perfect example of how this worship then gets lived out in Peter's life. Because Peter doesn't get bitter when they start to mock him. What he does is he starts to be a witness and preach about the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit comes and he teaches about Jesus. He reveals Jesus. Some people receive that. Next week, 3,000 people believe that while some receive, it tells you very clearly other people reject. Some people are always going to think that Christianity makes no sense. That the worship that you display in your life is futile and worthless because they believe they can figure out their lives all on their own, even as their life continually falls to pieces. And rather than looking at themselves as the source of all their life falling to pieces, they constantly point to how religion or Jesus or Christians are the problem. 
And where your worship of worship reminds you of who Jesus is, their worship of themselves reminds them of all they are lacking. And so they will mock and they will get angry. But true worship is how you respond to their mocking and to their anger. How will you respond in the midst of that? Will you continue to show them the grace and the love of God? Because that's worship. We are called to be witnesses by how we respond to everything. How we respond to everything. I mean, I think a hard question for us becomes, what does our worship remind us of? What does our worship remind us of? Is it reminds you of you and all the things you need and all the things that you're lacking? Or does your worship remind you of Jesus and all that God has given to you to build you into the person he intends for you to be? Are we living in the Spirit's admonition and power and instruction, or have we rejected His conviction? Because this is one of the reasons we don't talk about tongues today. I don't want you distracted by tongues. The Holy Spirit is solely committed that the message of Jesus would go out with power. And if language and if geography and people are in the way, He will move heaven and earth to make sure His message goes out in the Spirit using his people, doing whatever he needs to do. This is why he gives the Spirit to us. That we would be his witnesses, living in his strength. This is why he reminds us that we are to be people who worship. Because our worship is meant to remind us of what God has done and what he continues to do in our lives. The Spirit, worship, prayer, scripture. If you've been here the last three weeks, this is like all that we talked about. These things just kind of all come together. And it's kind of like as we go through books of the Bible, I really want you guys to see how these things just go hand in hand and hand in hand. When you go through the entire book of Acts, it is about being his witnesses. The Spirit is about empowering us to be his witnesses. The worship that we do in church settings and in our lives is meant to remind us of what the Spirit is doing by having Jesus come, live, die, rise from the dead, and give us his life. It's all about Jesus. And that's what we must be reminded of, and that's what we must share as witnesses. This is why we talk about communion every single week. That's why you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine and the grape juice. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me. That all of our sins and everything that separated us from God and us from each other has been dealt with at the cross. And so we can lay down our burdens there and we can lay down all of our hard feelings and anger at each other there because Jesus died and paid for it all. And then he rose from the grave to live and walk and give us new life again so we live in that. The band's going to come up. As they do, we invite you to take communion. As I said, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, they would love to pray with you. I mean, if you've been in a place in your life and you thought maybe the Spirit was this thing over there and you're supposed to have this gift or that thing over there and you haven't realized that the whole point of the Spirit was to empower you to be a witness, to remind you of what Jesus did and to always point to Jesus... Maybe that's something you need to pray about. Maybe that's something you need to have people who pray for you remind you of. There's offering boxes and sidewall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us, giving part of our worship. Worship reminds us that we're supposed to be givers. There's food and stuff in the back. We invite you to grab something to eat, maybe meet some other people and some friends, take some sermon notes, and ask some of the questions in there to your friends or your family or your gospel community, and start to maybe go a little bit deeper to start to understand what worship is meant to do, what the Spirit of God is meant to do in our lives, to recenter us and refocus us on who He is and what He has done and what He calls us into. Because God is good. 
he, he is. He has not taken us as a people and said, all right, uh, we're going to go play baseball today. I know you guys have no idea what you're doing, but go out there and do it. He has gifted every single one of us to be out there, to be in the game that he has put us in. And it's not a game, I know, it's a bad analogy, whatever. You know. But he has gifted us to be there to be his witnesses. He has not left us alone. He intentionally puts us where we are so we would live the life that he calls us to. You and me, living in the spirit of God that reminds us of who he is and what he has done because our God is good. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to live and walk in your ways. That as we worship, we would understand that worship is more than music and more than songs. That it is everything that we do. It is prayer. It is reading your word. It is fellowshipping with one another. It is being a witness. It is how we respond to unforeseen things that come into our lives. It is how we honor you in all things. And I ask that today you would begin to teach us of how our worship is to remind us of you. That we, like Jesus, would be so saturated with the goodness and the love of who you are that it so permeates our being that we are not shaken. That we are not left confused that that we stand on sure and solid footing that is based on you that you are the foundation of our lives that you are all that we are built on and that we remember that our stories of our lives only make sense in the larger narrative of your story that our lives are part of what you are doing in the world. And we be a witness to the truth and the grace and the goodness of who you are. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.